Let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 155th program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation dedicated to social change for over 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're continuing our talk about constitutions and what they're all about in general. Tuning into international news last week, listeners will have noticed the many references to the U.S. Constitution after the U.S. Supreme Court decided to overturn its 50-year-old Roe v. Wade decision, which established women's abortion rights. Some judges making the recent decision suggested that the Supreme Court had got it wrong with its Roe v. Wade decision way back then, 50 years ago, mm. as it unconstitutionally, they said, took away the rights of the states to legislate about such issues. Mm. So, Jacques, the recent Supreme Court decision elevates state rights above women's rights? They didn't even really talk about women's rights. Mm. They just said that the states are the ones to make decisions mm -hmm. and not the federal, the federal uh, level, basically. Mm. Uh, the uh, Supreme Court justices also foreshadowed their next possible steps, some of them did at least, removing several other rights women and men have acquired over time, including premarital sex and family planning. Mm. At the same time, in some of the higher circles of our Melbourne town, a Chinese-Australian mother of two sons enrolled at Scots College Primary has been asking for the constitution of the parents' group she had tried to join. She had been told repeatedly that membership requires two signatures of existing members, with mm -hmm. no, which no one seeming prepared to, to help, help her with. <laughs> and the constitution says no such thing as it later appeared. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I guess anyone involved in community organisations and committees know what constitutions are about. It's the rules of operation, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but moving back to a federal level, last week in our Think Again program, we mentioned that our own Australian constitution will require a revamp if we're to become a republic. Yeah, and not only because of a possible shift to being a republic, but also given the calls of First Nations peoples to somehow be recognised in the constitution, especially with a request for a belated treaty and a process of truth-telling. Yeah. So there are really enough reasons to better understand what constitutions are about especially if in a few years' time we'll have to make up our own minds of how we would like our new or amended constitution to look like. Yeah. So today, as we promised already last week, we'll have a closer look at what all the excitement is about. Mm -hmm. Well, so going back to the first thing, what is a constitution? Wikipedia helps us there. It says, a constitution is a statement of the basic principles and laws of a nation, state or group. Just going back a little bit to understand where the word comes from, the root of the word constitution derives actually from Sanskrit, the word star 
S-T-A, and via the Latin stare, which means to stay, and a form of that, constituere, to establish this, uh, a staying kind of position. And then via the French, it finally arrived into English. And by the way, star, S-T-A, also stands, is the root of our word state. Mm. And, and Jacques, does it also relate to the word stare? <laughs> Not really. Not really. I thought your eyes might be staying <laughs> on something. Well, probably. I don't know. It could very well be. <laughs> Look it up, my father would say. Mm-hmm. Hammurabi's Code, written around 1700 BCE in Babylon, Mesopotamia, now Iraq and Syria, was the first Mesopotamian law collection to be discovered, but it was not the first being written. Mm. Hammurabi's Code and such documents are considered progenitors of our present-day constitutions and law systems. Mm. As well, in The Dawn of Everything, A New History of Humanity, the book written by the late David Graeber, an anthropologist, and David Wengrow, an archaeologist, we talked about last week, They have collected a number of instances from across the world, dating back more than 10 millennia, 10,000 years, with unwritten and written examples of statements of principles Mm. and laws regulating and describing how people were expected to relate with one another and to relate with the world around them, including how they were to relate with the power holders in their community or society. Well, yes, in fact, the commandments of Israel and later Christianity, I guess, could also be understood as constitutional statements regulating life between people and leaders or, or their power holders. That's right. And obviously, in that case, under the ages of a deity. Yeah. And I guess even closer in time and context, that we have the English Magna Carta created in the mm-hmm. 1220s, I think. Mm-hmm. And that could be considered a constitutional document because, well, it at least pretended to regulate the relationship between the monarch and the nobility and between the nobility and all the other people. Yeah, and pretending is the right word here because it certainly was not very, the Magna Carta certainly was not very successful in maintaining access to the commons Mm. for the people and to the forest for the the, the normal people. (laughs) (laughs) The people gradually lost the commons through illegal enclosures finally sealed by the first Queen Elizabeth uh, who started or who uh, established the enclosure laws in 1600 Mm -hmm. leading eventually to our own epoch and the establishment of the modern state. Yeah, I guess the modern state with all its privately enclosed and accumulated land and wealth which we pretty much take for granted. Yep, and they basically call it capitalism. (laughs) So, moving to our own epoch now, the meaning of constitution as the mode of organization of a state dates from the 1600s. And in the 1780s, the US and French revolutions, they used that term to establish the fundamental principles and rules of a government as embodied in a written document, Mm. as it happened in the US, in France, and as we have it in Australia. Whereas in Britain, for example, constitution became rather a collective name for the fundamental principles 
established by the political development of the English people embodied in long-accepted precedents. So the precedent, the precedent system upon which laws and the just, justice system are based mm. in the UK. Yeah. So making decisions on what's been um, on the basis of what's been decided. That's correct. Before. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it holds tradition basically, mm-hmm. rather than uh, put it into the future. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and Jacques, there seems to be a, a funny a mix in constitutions of laying out some sort of rights that people have, just because they're human, mm-hmm. but but still enshrining subjugation to monarchs to different extents mm-hmm. and. And I think you mentioned um, to me that European constitutions tend to be more rights-based than ones which still enshrine the power of the monarchy, not least the English monarchy, Mm -hmm. as we know, which is ours. That's right. In continental Europe, most of the existing constitutions and most nations there have a constitution derives uh, from the late 1800s under the Napoleon regime. Mm -hmm. Napoleon at that stage Mm -hmm. basically controlled the whole of Europe. And as the French had already a constitution, which was sort of changed several times over those 10 years, he brought that sense of constitution to most of the countries he then invaded and controlled. And I should note here that Britain doesn't even have a constitution. (laughs) Well, that's a fun fact, Jacques. Yeah, indeed. Britain is one of only six countries that have no written constitution. The others being... Interesting series, Israel, Libya, New Zealand, Oman and Saudi Arabia. Wow. What that's what a strange and and seemingly arbitrary mix. I can't really see a pattern. Libya, Oman, Saudi Arabia and New Zealand. All mm-hmm. countries not having a constitution. Yep. Yep. Some constitutions are largely but not wholly codified. For example, In Australia, the most fundamental political principles and regulations concerning the relationships between the branches of government and between government and individual citizens or subjects, they are codified in a single document called the Constitution of the Commonwealth of Australia. Mm, And, yeah, and on the other hand, some statutes or acts exist that are not written in the Constitution. For example... Acts which clarify the power of the UK Parliament to legislate for internal matters in Australia, such mm-hmm. as the Statute of Westminster Adoption Act 1942 and the Australia Act 1986. So, Jacques, it's a bit fuzzy, I think, because I understood that the UK Parliament um, could no longer pass legislation on Australia's internal matters. No, they can't pass legislation by themselves, uh, but what they have to do all the time is basically accept what initially the uh, the government general as well mm-hmm. as our local politicians in parliament mm-hmm. have decided. Yeah. So they basically give it status of yeah. law. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, Coming they, from the monarchy that's correct. and not yeah. directly from their parliament. That's correct. Yeah. So often constitutions, they are protected by a legal body whose job it is to interpret those constitutions and declare void executive and legislative acts which infringe the principles. Contained in the constitution. That's right. Some countries have a dedicated constitutional court 
which performs only this function, mm. like Germany, for example. Mm. Other countries, they have ordinary courts perform the control function in addition to their other responsibilities, which is what the U.S. Supreme Court just engaged in. Yeah, so I guess the point, Jacques, is... Even with the Constitution, there's still interpretive work to be done, even though you're not just relying on the president of past decisions. Mm -hmm. Even with a Constitution, it's not clear. That's right. That's correct. In Australia, the High Court is the place where such cases of special federal significance are being decided, including challenges to the constitutional validity of laws, and that High Court also hears appeals from federal, state and territory courts. Elsewhere, like in the UK, interestingly, the concept of declaring an act to be unconstitutionally does not exist. Because there's no constitution. The UK parliamentary acts under the the principle of what is referred to as parliamentary sovereignty. Mm. Its acts cannot be challenged in court. (laughs) So without a constitution, the UK parliament can make any laws it likes? Well, yeah, but and and based on precedent, as we said before, right? So constitutions where they exist include various rights, freedoms and duties. For example, the duties to pay taxes, to serve in the military, and interestingly, rather than the right, the duty to work is in the Constitution, in some constitutions, Mm -hmm. obviously. Then there are the freedoms of association, of assembly, of expression, the freedom of the press, of religion and thought. And then there's a series of rights which include the right to vote, to dignity, to a fair trial, to academic freedom, to privacy, and of course, in the US, the right to bear arms. Yeah, which for people outside the US, Jacques really turns the idea of rights on its head. Mm -hmm. I I guess it's a case of individual rights, I mean, for me, gone mad, Mm -hmm. um, compared to collective rights, which is probably a topic for a whole program. It certainly is. It certainly is, because you sort of... (laughs) There's quite a few rights, actually. They they end up standing in tension with one another, if not in opposition to one another. For example, the right to one's free speech and that to protect one's reputation. Mm -hmm. Or as the recent turbulence in the US makes so clear, the right to bear arms and the right of people to live safe lives. Hmm. Yeah, and you're referring, of course, Jacques, to the shocking but much too regular gun massacres in the US. Totally, totally. totally. The the 30,000 people are dead in the US every year because of gunshots. Like they have a war zone at home. Mm, Totally. But for now, for some hopeful reflection, let's hear from Piritu with Ngurumpa. Ngurumpa. Make the call 
So let's make the call. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series, where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Beyond the Bars started in 2002, and this year marks 21 years on air. So tune in at 11am each day during NADOC from Monday the 4th of July to Friday the 8th of July for the Beyond the Bars 2022 broadcasts. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyondthebars. You're listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital or 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about constitutions, what they do, and we're giving a bit of a potted history. So to continue, constitutions usually explicitly divide power between various branches of government. The standard model initially described by the Frenchman Montesquieu in the mid-1700s involves three branches of government, the executive, the legislative and the judicial. And we talked about two of those last week, Mm -hmm. the legislative or the lawmaking power, the executive or the policy and program making power. Yeah, we didn't talk about the judicial branch really, uh, which the judicial branch can adjudicate conflicts in opinion about the law according to what the Constitution says. Yeah, some constitutions include additional branches and they may vary extensively as to the degree of separation of powers between these branches. For example, in the US, judges are elected in political processes subject to the all-power-laden influences in the political arena. Mm. The composition of the Supreme Court, the clearest case of a lack of separation of the, between the powers and at the highest level of jurisprudence. Yeah, As we know, the Supreme Court in the US has been stacked with right-wing Republican appointments in recent years, notoriously by Donald Trump. Hence, there's a range of progressive decisions made over time mm-hmm. are set to be overturned. 
starting with the removal of abortion rights, which you opened the program with today, Shark, and, mm-hmm. and also which was covered on Green Ref Radio this morning with a really great interview, bringing mm-hmm. it to mm-hmm. the local context. Yep. So in contrast to the US, Australia, according to our constitution, um, uh, 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 sorry, according to our constitution in Australia, High Court judges are appointed by the Governor-General representing <laughs> the Queen. But as we talked about in our last program, the re- reality and practice often veers from how things are set out in the Constitution, and we pretend it isn't so in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, In reality, High Court appointments are made by the federal and state ministries based on the advice of attorney generals with approval, final approval from the Governor-General. And that's at both federal and state levels. So, So I guess I'd like to say let's hope that some despotic Governor-General doesn't call on these very real powers mm. that exist in the yeah. future. Yeah, that's right. And since we're thinking while well, becoming a republic, in presidential and semi-presidential systems of government, ministers and department secretaries are accountable to the president. And the president has powers to appoint and dismiss ministers. Mm. The president is accountable to the people in an election. Mm-hmm. So, Jacques, do you mean that the president can dismiss local MPs who are voted by the people, which mm. seems incredible, or do you mean the president can dismiss members of an inner cab- cabinet or similar thing who have oversight over special portfolios? Yeah, there's a variety of ways in which it is happening worldwide, so mm. it depends on the system and how it's set up. Yeah. In contrast, in parliamentary systems, cabinet ministers are accountable to the parliament, but it is the prime minister who appoints and dismisses them. Mm-hmm. In the case of the UK and other countries made a monarchy or in some way connected to a monarchy like Australia, it is the monarch or his or her representative, the Governor General in our case, who appoints and dismisses ministers on the advice of the Prime Minister. On the advice of the Prime That's Minister. That's right. And in turn, the Prime Minister will resign if the government loses the confidence of the Parliament. Confidence can be lost if the government loses in a vote of no confidence or loses a particularly important vote in Parliament, such as a vote on the budget. Yeah, so with the passing of the budget, I guess that's really necessary for the government to have the funds to carry out its decisions and, and carry on in general. Yep, that's so you right. can't lose a vote on the budget if you're in power. That's right. And as we know, the blocking of money supply, as it's called, by Parliament began the crisis in 1975 when we had the travesty of an elected PM, Gough Whitlam, being sacked by the Governor-General acting on behalf of the Queen. Yeah, and in addition, some constitutions or states can set up independent institutions. For example, a central bank, anti-corruption commissions, an electoral commission, a human rights commission, ombudsman, and truth and reconciliation commission. These are all adjustments and additions to the broad intention of the constitution. Yeah, and thinking about the truth and reconciliation commission, this is a really important move here in Victoria. Um, As laid out on the website um, called Truth and Justice in Victoria, The Europe Justin Commission, as it's called, is investigating historical and ongoing injustices Mm -hmm. committed against Aboriginal Victorians since colonisation. 
The website notes that Aboriginal Victorians have been clear and consistent in the call for truth-telling as an essential part of the treaty process, which is pretty much in line with what our guest, Noongar author Claire G. Coleman, was saying on Think Again in the program in early June. And the Victorian government says it's committed to acknowledging the truth of Victoria's history and laying the foundations for new positive relationships between the state, Aboriginal Victorians and non-Aboriginal Victorians. And that sounds pretty constitutional in my, in my ears. Uh-huh. We have been mostly talking about constitutions grounded in Western traditions in this program, which are intertwined with imperialism and colonialism in many cases, and not least in Australia. Yeah. So we have to acknowledge that the Australian Constitution, along with all the other related power structures and institutions, haven't really worked for Aboriginal peoples in Australia since invasion two centuries ago. Yeah, and Jacques, Aboriginal systems of law evidently serve this continent very well for over 60,000 mm-hmm. years, supporting the life, the people and all the living relationships in the ecology of this place. And all of this supplanted by supposedly superior Western system of law. While we somehow scramble to understand and implement ideas of sustainability mm-hmm. <laughs> after having wreaked havoc in the blink of an eye of about 250 yeah. years. Just imagine that ecological sustainability becomes part of the Constitution. And why shouldn't it? Uh, yes. And it would be really great to talk with someone and think again, again, and think again to help us better <laughs> understand Aboriginal law and culture so we can at least try to learn from it. And let's hope we are not too late. That brings us nicely into community announcements for NADOC Week. Yes, and it's that time again. National NADOC Week celebrations are held across Australia in the first week of July each year to celebrate and recognise the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. This year it runs from Sunday 4th of July. You can support and get to know your local Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander communities through activities and events held across the country. Just go to the NAIDOC website, N-A-I-D-O-C. NADOC website to see what's going on. There are so many great things happening. I'm looking at it again yesterday. There are art exhibitions, art markets, movies, book readings and Aboriginal games. The Ab- and, for example, the Aborigines Advancement League in Thornbury is hosting an Elders Luncheon on Tuesday, the 5th of July from 12 o'clock. So that's the Aborigines Advancement League. If you're not connected to the internet uh, to find out about all of this, you can contact your local library and the librarian should be able to help you. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and support and thanks for supporting our program. And <laughs> By listening. Don't forget, don't forget that the Radiothon's still going. Mm-hmm. If you want to send us a message, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our past, past programs are available on podcast and the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. To finish this program of Think Again, please enjoy Milkumana by King Stingray. Milkumana.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.